Hello and welcome to the Ben Like Bamboo Resilience Show. To Ben Like Bamboo is to master change with flexibility. And on the show, I get to learn from and interview very special guests all about resilience and how to master it in our minds, in our bodies and in our lives. And today I'm interviewing Mark Trulson. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Amanda. I'm really looking forward to this. I've uh, noticed over the last few weeks you've had some amazing guests, so I'm a bit overawed, but uh, I think we'll give it a good crack. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for your time today. I know what you specialise in, and I know this is going to be one of the most juiciest interviews yet. So let's dive in. Please let me introduce you properly. So Mark Trulson is not your everyday speaker. He leads from the heart and brings love and emotion to the normally sterile world of corporate Australia. To Mark, there's nothing more tragic than when a human questions his or her worth. He provides the tools to employees that can ignite the passion and overcome dormancy in the workplace, the very dormancy that fuels doubt, dismay, and even personal crisis. These tools aren't just business savvy, they're personally transformative. And transformative companies and ideas upend markets by doing something truly different. They see a need and create something for a market which may not yet exist. And after working with some of the world's best companies, Mark discovered that the framework for transformation can also be applied to for individuals. So I can't wait to talk about this, Mark. Thank you. It's, uh, I think uh, what's been lost uh, with the, the quest of big corporates trying to go for efficiency and effectiveness is that true, true magic comes from igniting the passions from the humans that work within. So I think there's a real opportunity, not only for companies to grow, but for um, a focus on humans and you know, being the employees for them to grow as well. Definitely, definitely. How long have you been a speaker for? When did that start? Well, I finished uh, probably a 20-year corporate stint um, about nine years ago. And ever since then, uh, I've just absolutely loved doing what I was doing at companies such as where I was working at CUB, just doing it with uh, a load of companies, not only here but abroad. So mainly focusing on creativity and innovation and storytelling. So it's been a great ride so far. That would be seriously such a fun job. Well, it uh, makes getting up uh, in the morning very enjoyable. So, yes, definitely. Yeah, and a great way to help people too. Well, it's good seeing, you know, people sort of come alive because often, you know, corporates can stifle that creativity. And I think uh, it's one of those things, you know, when you have a a good play with kids and you can see the magic that comes through their eyes. And I think, you know, once you get to school, that sort of gets beaten out of them. And Mm. uh, especially when you get into corporate, you're basically told you're not creative. And I think every one of us is creative. We've just got to find the ways and the tools to ignite that sort of imagination and spirit. So, yes, it's definitely a buzz when I see that uh, transform before your eyes. So why do you think storytelling is so important? Well, it's something that, you know, truly resonates. It's, uh, it's, it's the, because I think we're bombarded by so much information and facts. And I think that sort of just blows over you. But, you know, when you hear a story, you can connect to something that's happened to you in the past and it really gives you meaning and, and it gives you a way forward in terms of, you know, inspiration and, and a way forward to, to come up with great solutions. So storytelling for me always just cuts through the clutter. And why transformation? Well, I think uh, I look at the best times in my corporate career and there have been the times where we've really, you know, broken down the barriers or, or, or did things that were considered impossible. And I think the more and more you look at the magic of human beings, that's where you see when, you know, true transformation 
uh, comes from. It, it, it's sort of like the, you know the good old caterpillar that sort of spends a time, you know, in the in the mess of it all, in the in the cocoon, and then suddenly just flourishes into a butterfly. And I think, you know, we all as you know humans go through that period where we're going down one path and we get stuck in the mess, and then suddenly a moment transpires and we can all sort of transform like a butterfly. And when that happens, that's where the you know true fulfillment and meaning comes from. Do you think we go through that multiple times in our lives? Oh, definitely, and, and I hopefully uh, it happens all the time. But I, I think it's very easy to get stuck into doing the mundane or getting stuck to what society feels as your rightful place. And I think we've got to constantly find a way to break through all that mess. Yeah, it's a very um, uh, lonely path sometimes, and to to create a new path, it's like walking down a path unpaved, which requires courage and determination and self belief because it usually is against the status quo, right? Yeah, and I think you know it's become in vogue. And one thing I'd like to say is that a lot of people talk about self love, and whilst I believe in self love, I see self love being more than just getting you know a manicure or a massage or or spending time just. You know, doing something indulgent. I think self-love is doing the work and getting right in and doing the hard work, which can take time. And to me, that tough love on yourself is is what helps you transform, not necessarily the indulgent parts of the, the wonderful parts that we can spend, you know, 45 minutes getting a, a nice deep tissue massage. Yeah, love it. All right, let's dive in. What does resilience mean to you? Wow, well, you know, it's a, it's a big, big question because I think, I think gratefully we've changed our view on resilience. I think resilience used to be this real sort of masculine word that sort of encapsulated someone who was really super tough, who could stand up and fight. And, you know, like Rocky Balboa says, uh, you know, it's not how you hit, it's how you get hit and keep moving forward. And I think there is that beautiful part about getting hit or having an obstacle and moving forward, but I don't think you have to be tough and masculine to do that. I think if I think about resilience... To me, it's about enduring. It's about um, being in for the long haul. It's about doing that work. And, and I think all of us can aspire to be resilient if that's the case. If it, if it means you're the toughest person on the planet, then most of us will probably shield away from it. And I think that endurance part says to me that resilience can be learned. It's not something that you're innately born with. And to be learned, I think there's a, there's a natural process that can help you through and become more resilient. And, and being in marketing, you know, I always like to think of an acronym or a snappy sort of title. And for me, resilience is about control, alt, delete. I love it. So if you think about your computer, you know, when things are tough and, and things are sort of getting, you know, you're on your computer and everything seems too hard, you know, you press control, alt, delete, and you can sort of start again. And Reset. And I, yeah, and I feel that's the, the same way with us. And so if you, if you think about it as a process, to me, control is about resetting as you just said your mindset so you know something major has happened to you an obstacle you've got to get your mindset in a space where it's willing to be open for growth and I think that's a really important part because people often just go straight to the solution and say okay I'm feeling down so therefore I need to do this and I feel there's a there's a journey before you get to that stage and to me the control bit is getting your mindset right and you know people like Carol Dweck has sort of modernized mindset and I think we're becoming more aware of the power of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I think once you get to a growth mindset, you are in a, in a position to be more motivated for the challenge ahead because you, you're actually seeing it through the right lens. You're seeing it from an optimistic point of view that something can be changed. Mm -hmm. And I think once you get the right motivation, 
It's what then gives you meaning. You can start thinking, hang on, this isn't impossible. You know, this is a, a situation where I can overcome because this what this opportunity means to me now is something that I can transform or improve upon. So, so for me, that's the control part. The alt part is sort of seeking the right sort of alternatives. And because often, as I said, people jump to the first solution they come to and they run it in a, a bullet a gate. But to me, it's taking stock and thinking, okay, now that I've got meaning, now that my mindset and motivation's right, what are some alternatives that may be totally different to where I've been? And I think to find the alternatives, you need to be discovery driven. You know, what, what succeeded before may not what succeeds in the future. There may just be an opportunity that you could go down that you may not have even thought about, but because you're in a different mindset, because you've got a different meaning, there's an opportunity to look at um, opportunities or discoveries in a very different way. And I think once you're discovery driven, it's also a good way to then combine your you know, and play to your distinctive strengths. You know, it's one thing being discovery driven, but there also there's some clues and hints along your journey, along the decades of your life on, on the planet that sort of says there are some things I'm good at. And some people, you know, they're really humble and think that nothing that they do is good. But, you know, maybe speak to a friend or speak to some work colleagues and say, what is it from my, what are the traits that I put forward to the world that actually you think are a strength? And there might be things that, you know, that you, you take great passion in. And I think once you play your, your, your sort of distinctive strengths, you then go, okay, with these alternatives, there are some that may be a stretch, but equally there's some may, that you may have to step back to grow. You might say, okay, I'm a general manager, but to get to where I want to get to, I may have to come back. I may have to, and that could then catapult you into an amazing path moving forward. And I think the last part, once you've controlled the mindset, motivation, meaning, you've got alternatives, then what's really important, I think, which gets overlooked and neglected uh, is the delete. So what are the things that you, that that aren't serving you or haven't served you that you now need to get rid of. Because if you carry that baggage forward on that transformational path or that resilience that you need to show, if you don't get rid of the things that are holding you back, then there's gonna to be too much for your mind to occupy, too much that is gonna weigh you down. And then momentum begets momentum. And if you can't get those first steps quickly, then most of the time that's when we give up. So resilience mm -hmm. to me, is not just a snappy little one word or one phrase. And, and I really love the work that, you know, the Resilience Project has done, a lot of the work that you've shown, not through, you know, not just your personal example, but all the great work you're doing with resilience and, and bringing meaning to that. And I think what's important with that is that it becomes a lot more human, the word resilience. It's not this thing that none of us can aspire for. It's something that we can all achieve. We can all learn to be more capable with. Yes. I love that. Wow. Control, alt, delete. Easy to remember and, and really what a great acronym. Thank you. Well, you know, I've been in marketing for nearly 30 years, so I think that's the only thing marketers really get taught to do is come up with yeah. the acronyms. <laughs> that's awesome. So I would love it if you would just share something that you've been through in your life, that way, something that you had to overcome. Yeah, I think, you know, if you'd asked me this question probably 10 years ago, I'd say, look, I've, got the, I've had the perfect life, so there's not really anything I've had to overcome. Um, but, you know, definitely in the last 10 years, uh, after I hit my sort of 40th birthday, you know, there's been a number of things. But in particular, I look back to probably uh, 2014, 
for most of that and then definitely 2015. But 2014, I went through uh, a mental derailment. And I think it's quite fascinating because often people don't want to talk about it. They sort of say, you know, I've got mental health. But to me, mental health is something you aspire for. It's not something that you went through. What you went through is a mental derailment or a mental illness. And when you do the work, you come up with mental health. So I look back at 2014 and, you know, I probably started the year. I did some great things. I, I did a, a dream consulting job where um, it was about building creative confidence with BlackRock, who's one of the biggest financial institutions in the world, which, which took me to five different countries and I worked with a couple thousand people in terms of how to build their creative confidence. So for most of that, I was on a high, but I, I remember thinking there were elements of that trip that I was getting stressed or anxious about that I'd never experienced before. And, you know, thinking about getting visas and I remember my mum hassling me about, you have to get a visa to India. And I said, no, I don't have to. And then I had to, and that really consumed me. And and the details was, started to get to you. The details started to really gnaw at me, which, you know, before it hadn't. And I then, you know, came back from that and I started feeling a bit different. I remember doing a strategy workshop for one of the big corporates here in Australia. And I had the sense that the room was just closing in on me. And I remember them all looking at me and, and paranoia started happening where I felt everybody in the room was laughing at me and, and, you know, I looked over at the window and I thought how easy would it be for me just to run through that window because I was feeling crippled and I, I felt that everyone wasn't taking me seriously and, and I felt like I should just run out the room and never come back. And, but, you know, somehow I just kept at the workshop and I remember sheepishly going up to the director at the end and, you know, fully expecting to get barreled and saying it was, but she just looked at me and said, Mark, that was incredible. It was the work, best workshop we've ever had. And, and I started thinking, Hank, why is my mind telling, playing tricks on me? Why has it got this real negative lens on life? You know, why can't I see what actually is happening? And it sort of just became uh, worse and worse for me. I remember just simple tasks like going shopping. You know, I, would, I could spend literally half an hour in the toothpaste aisle trying to debate whether the 459 toothpaste was, was better than the 429 toothpaste. And... I was, I was really consumed by the difficulty in making that choice. And I remember having to ask the, the poor kid, you know, in the aisle to sort of help me, uh, who was packing shelves to help me, which, which, which brand was best. And, and you know, I had uh, my daughter's 21st where, you know, I'm a speaker, people pay me to speak. And yet for two weeks, I couldn't sleep because of the fear of wanting to do her speech at her 21st. And we were living in a a beautiful you know, four bedroom sort of uh, I'm a I'm a dad with you know, solo dad with three kids and the, you know the four of us were living this we had four levels in this townhouse and basically I got to the stage where I'd spend my whole day I'd, I'd start in my bedroom and I the, the anxiety would get so much that I'd have to then go down the four flights of stairs down to what we called the the, the, the dungeon where I had a couch and I'd, I'd lay there and try to get the pain to go away. And then when the anxiety came too much, I would, I would have to walk up to the, my bed and I was sort of going doing that walk the whole time. And, and, you know, the thought of doing that in front of my kids was just so embarrassing for me. And it finally hit a stage where it was my, my son's, I think, eighth birthday. And, and he asked me to umpire his, you know, for his party, can I umpire his footy match? And I couldn't make any decisions. And, and uh, I was just making some shockers. And I remember my son just looking at me saying, Dad, you are the worst umpire ever. And, 
I could see my mum just getting so upset because she could see that I was just, you know, a big, strong son who is used to have all the confidence in the world had just become this shell of himself. And and it was at that moment that, you know, my mum then alerted, you know, my brother and, and they sort of staged the intervention for me. So, you know, from someone who used to be super confident, I sort of thought, wow, this is really taken a hold of me. And, uh, you know, I basically had to sort of stay out of work for about 18 months. Sounds like you were feeling really capped and just overwhelmed. Was there something that happened leading up to when that first happened? Was there something going on in your life that made you feel that led up to that? Looking back now, do you understand why this happened? Oh, look, it's a it's a fascinating question. And I have uh, spent a lot of time speaking to some professionals about this. And, and I advise anybody who goes through that to not wait as long as I did. You know, there were signals along the way. There were, there were signs I should have picked up. Uh, speaking with the professionals, there wasn't anything big and significant. There was just lots of things that had happened at the same time. And it was sort of like a perfect storm where just like a computer, when it's got too much information, it just crashes. You know, I literally just had too much that I've taken on. Uh, I've taken on too many challenges, you know, try to rescue too many people. And and at that stage, I, I wasn't rescuing myself. And it basically just all, you know, exploded. Yeah, you so much output and not enough self-care. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So tell me, what was your lowest point when you were going through that? What was the hardest bit? And talk me through that bit. Well, definitely it was extreme shame. And and it's the thing I still battle with to this day is that, you know, I'd, I'd always been a successful person. I felt like, you know, uh, my life was great. I had a perfect family and you know, I was married with three kids. And I think the thought of that disappearing and, you know, I had the responsibility of the three kids and that's sort of all I could do for those sort of 18 months. I couldn't really work, but, you know, I just had to take control. But I, I kept feeling responsible that maybe their life wasn't going to turn out as well as I thought it could be or should be. And also them seeing me not be the, the person who I wanted to be and who to represent. And, you know, I, like I said, you know, the example, that they would see me literally walk up and down those four flights of stairs 50 times a day and, you know, they'd sort of ask, Dad, what are you doing? What's wrong? And and so it's just that shame of not being able to betray yourself with the confidence or the strength that you think you should be able to do in front of your kids. But but so that shame still stays with me, but what's amazed me is just how, how resilient, you know, kids are, that they can go through that and they can offer you that strength and they don't give you any judgment as to, you know, they just see the love and support that you give them and that's what they want. We judge ourselves so much, don't we? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And you know, we're our, definitely our own harshest critic. And that's the that's the hardest part when you go through a mental derailment is that, you know, you've got that little voice inside of your head saying you're not good enough or no one's going to want to employ you anymore or no one's going to want you to run a workshop or do a speech or, you know, your kids are thinking you're useless or, you know, if you're looking for a partner that they're not going to, you know, see the good things in you. So it sounds like you were going through so much change. Was that around the same time that you first started to decide to break out on your own and and, and really do your own workshops? And when you, because you used to be in the corporate market before that full no, time. I, I, yeah, I'd sort of, I'd left corporate with all these you know, grandiose ideas. And, and I think, you know, part of that, uh, I was going to do it with another guy who I loved dearly and, you know, he stayed in corporate. And so I sort of probably wasted a bit of time. Then I got into it and it was all fantastic. But then, you know, I had a marriage separation that didn't do well and I had to look after the kids. and So, so much bit, going on. So it was quite, it was quite blurry and, um, yeah. yeah, it sort of just all fell apart at that time. 
Yeah. So sometimes, you know, every day we go through change, but sometimes life brings bigger change and sometimes it feels like it's all happening at once and it can really blow our circuits. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I uh, totally, I feel you. And and I think it's very, it's sort of fascinating to me that um, if your mind can be that negative, um, the thing that really sort of gets me through is that if it can be that negative, it could also flip to be that positive. And, and I, yeah. I think I was, I was astounded just how negative my mind had become and, and how crippling it came um, in terms of my whole makeup. So I'd yeah. spent the first 40 years of my life, you know, living quite a blissful life, had an amazing mum who showed me the way and had great friends and, and the, the thought that I could just, you know, inside become so paranoid and have hallucinations and, and feel that the world was all on top of me, it just showed if it can flip that way, it can also flip the other way. And, and ever since then, that's sort of been the sort of the, the burning sort of passion I've had to sort of help people, you know, navigate that path. So what do you make sure you do now daily to make sure you don't go back to that place? Yeah, I, I, look, it's it's... I've got I've got the theory that I could tell you whether I, I followed up in practice is 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 the um, the challenging piece is like that's why I said that to me self love is 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 the work and uh, I think we get it when it comes to you know why we get a personal trainer I don't think we get it when it comes to all the work you need to do you know whether that be meditation or journaling or you know asking counsellor you know working all through. The, you know, yeah. I, I joked about it with my with one of my best buddies and uh, we sort of said, wow, you know, to live this sort of life that we, we know we should, it, it literally takes two, three, four hours a day to sort of to do it correctly and properly. So yeah. that's that's why I always laugh when I see influencers on Instagram and talk about self-love and they're, they're pampering themselves. You know, that, uh, for me, self-love is the work. You know, committing to doing that work and doing it daily so and it's something that you'll do for the rest of your life do you think the work is then um being really true to yourself and looking at yourself um warts and all is that what you mean when you say it's more doing the work that self-love like really taking a look at yourself checking in with your thoughts what's going on in, in internal dialogue you know questioning it you know, the shame that comes up or the guilt, like questioning it. Is it true? Should I, you know, do I, can I let this go? Is that what you mean when you say the work? Yeah, that, but also really truly understanding who you are and what you stand for and mm-hmm. and, and and not get down on yourself that actually see the opportunity that lays within and, and uh, not get consumed by the doubt or get riddled by the thoughts that enter your head, but, but establish, you know, deep down what does your soul truly represent what does it want to give to the world and and i think that takes time i don't think i don't think you can go and watch a simon sinek you know ted video that says you know find your purpose and you get your purpose straight away it's it's something that that evolves with every day that you have on the planet yeah i think living your true authentic self requires you know the ability to let go of ego what other people expect from you what you expect from yourself um the ability to soften and to just walk your own path and really let go of what people think, you know, all these ego things that can really build up these expectations of what we should be doing versus what we really want to be doing. And then we entertain scenarios in our heads of what, you know, our kids or our friends might be thinking of us when maybe it's just an assumption. Yeah, totally. And and false and, yeah. and something that sort of led you down. And you sort of think, well, you know, look at the decisions you've made that may not have been the wise or right decisions and why did I make those decisions? And if I had that time again, how would I change that outcome or outlook? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. 
So what was your turning point? How did you turn it all around? Well, I think the big turning point for me is because I've kept it away from everyone for so long. You know, I tried to take on the challenge all by myself. I could sense that things were going wrong, but I, I didn't have the courage to speak mm -hmm. out. And, and I think, you know, going back to my mum, seeing me at my son's football, you know, umpiring the football, and she told my brother, and he had an intervention, and, you know, he had the courage. You know, he's, you know, he's a beautiful soul, my brother, and, uh, you know, he's, he's this guy who's probably always looked up to me as the big brother. And, you know, it was a moment where he stepped up and, and I'll always be forever grateful. You know, he, he banded all my friends together and, and as a collective, they sort of took on the responsibility to get me out of the rut. But, you know, one of my great friends, Dave, you know, his task was to come over to my house at six o'clock in the morning to get me out of bed, to have breakfast, to talk to me, sort of get my mind thinking, well, you know, going through a checklist, you know, to make sure that my life wasn't as miserable as I thought. And, you know, I had another mate, you know, who was in New York and, you know, he spoke to me and I said, you know, he said he wants to come and see me. I said, look, I'm, I'm basically a crippled in bed. I don't, I don't even know if I can get out of bed sometimes. And he said, no, no, I'm going to fly over. So he flew over straight away from New York. You know, he had one of the most successful advertising roles in, in Manhattan, but he you know, took a week out without, you know, without pay and he came and he just sat with me and he said, look, as long as I can sit in, you know, next to you in your bed and we can just talk, you know, I had other people like, you know, Richard and Kate and, you know, they would make sure that, you know, because I was looking after my kids that, you know, they would, you know, drop in food and doing all those sorts of things. So I was really humbled by that because I think, you know, and I remember thinking, I'm feeling so guilty, but they sort of said to me, hey, you've been there for us for 40 years. You've always helped us throughout, you know, we've never helped you. And, and, and it just sort of dawned on me just, you know, you're not here by yourself, that there are people, other people here who can lift you up. And, and to let people in and let people do that, it's very nurturing for both involved, the both parties, for you and also for them. And, and, and it's amazing the love and the connection that can be shown when you're in real time of need, the, what people will do. It's, it's actually beautiful, like the people that step up for you. Yeah, and when you, you know, like, you know, my mate Dave would come over most mornings at six, you know, he again, you know, he runs a very successful business and, you know, as busy as a man can be. And he's someone who dedicates a couple hours of self-love and self-care and, you know, for him to then to overlay another hour that he'd support me, just, it sort of just said, look, my life is worth living. My life will have some purpose. And, you know, to see the energy that they were coming with me to help sort of just gave me some energy to overcome. Beautiful. So what's the biggest thing you learned through all that? It's, um, it's, you don't know what you've learned until you experience that same sort of situation again. And, and, and not that I've, I went to anywhere near those depths, but definitely during COVID, um, you know, I really started to wobble and, um, and I think, having gone through that, you know, derailment before gave me strength to say, hey, you've been there before, you've done it, you've got through it, you know, this time will pass, you know, just because there was that time sort of April, May where I thought, wow, you know, a lot of my, uh, the big corporates were saying to me, you're not going to be able to work, um, you know, we're not probably going to be able to do face-to-face -face workshops or speaking until 2021 at, a, at an earliest and I'd sort of gone through a situation where, you know, I got myself in a lot of debt because I hadn't worked when I had the mental derailment, I had probably the best year or two of my consulting life where I got myself back on track. And then the negative thoughts started coming back and, and the shame and the guilt and that, are you going to be good enough? You, 
And, and I remember because I've gone through it, I just applied the lens of, you know, control, alt, delete. And, you know, from a control point of view, you know, we talk about mindset and, you know, someone who I really love is Byron Katie. And if you go on a website, she goes through like the four questions you've got to ask yourself. And the first two questions to me are fascinating is the first question, is it true? And uh, what I love about that is because, you know, negativity can really affect you. And is it true sort of says, is all the thoughts that are entering your mind, are they true? And the second question is, is it really true? So, you know, that first lens you can sort of, you can get overcome. But when you ask that, is it really true? That's when I said, no, it's not true because I've actually gone through worse myself. I went, got through it. I got back. I was in a much stronger place than I was before. So, yes, this time will pass. And then I started from a motivation. I started getting excited. And, and from a meaning point of view, I said, hey, maybe my life has come to this sort of this juncture where it starts getting clearer. And the alt part of the control alt delete was, okay, if you can't get consulting done, you know, till 2021, what can you do? And, you know, I look back at probably the best time of my life was, you know, when I was you know, running innovation at CUB and, and coming up with beer. So I sort of said to a couple of guys, hey, this is the time now we can come up with a beer. And, you know, this was sort of March, April. And, you know, what we went through, we, we, we're getting it manufactured uh, in, in, in Germany. Um, we're getting it stocked uh, in Dan Murphy and, and BWS. And that would never have come if, if I hadn't have gone through what I went through before. And, and the delete part is, okay, now that you're coming up and introducing this beer to the marketplace, what does this mean for you consulting-wise going forward? And for me, it's, I used to do lots of things that I didn't really truly enjoy, but, but I always loved transformation or disruption. And to me, it's like come up with a beer, but also connect it to a story of transformation and focus on that moving forward. And, and it's that process of, you know, the control your mindset to make it work, come up with an alternative story that really excites you and then delete things out of your life. I think if I hadn't gone through the mental derailment, it wouldn't have got to a stage where I could be more resilient and more excited about the future moving forward. Yeah, totally agree. Amazing. So do you have some tips out there? If someone's listening, they're going through a similar um, scenario in their lives, they're really feeling shame or they might be having their own, you know, um, mental derailment or they feel just totally overwhelmed. What are some tips that you'd like to share of um, what people can just do today? Yeah, I think because um, one thing I learned about mental derailment is, is you know, we often talk about, you know, fear, you know, flight or fight. I think there's something even more dangerous than flight or fight. Um, I call it freeze, you know. So I think most of us, I think if you go through, you know, flight or fight, you know, people can associate you with that. You know, they can tell that you've got some fear or they can tell that you're wanting to do something different. It's obvious. But I think for most of us, we get caught in a rut. And I certainly did. You know, I, I became very numb to what was happening around me. And one thing I would love to be able to help people with is to help them move through numbness because I think numbness to me is a lot more crippling. To be in a numb zone is a lot more crippling than being in a fear zone or a growth zone. It's definitely being in a growth zone is what you aspire for. And so it got me really into thinking about the world of numbness and what are the masks of numbness that we put on ourselves and they're a number. So it's not my numbness was being able to, you know, that was being able to connect with other people, but you know, other people have numbness in terms of being a more intimate partner or they have numbness 
that, you know, they've lost their courage or numbness that they don't want to get out of bed and explore the world. So to me, numbness became this consuming thought of how can you help people through it? And one of the, one of the interesting uh, areas that I looked at was if you think about rock climbers, um, they've got one of the most, you know, fearing jobs on the planet. You know, at any moment, you know, they could lose footing or they, there could be a snake that could bite them or anything. The thing that they fear the most is what, what is called carpal tunnel syndrome or CTS. And carpal tunnel syndrome is, is the point where they know that their fingers have become so numb that death is going to happen. So they're always looking for signs of how to avoid CTS. And so to your question about tips, to me it's about understanding what are the CTS that come in your life. When is it that you either care less, being the C, when is it that you're talking less to people? Or when is it that you are seeing less? Because there, to me, are the signals. They're your carpal tunnel syndrome or your CTS. It's when you're caring less. So that's when you're going really insular and you're not really checking in with that person. It's when you're talking less, is that you're not picking up the phone or going to visit your friends and suddenly you can think, well, I haven't really seen anyone for seven months, which is probably something we've gone through with COVID. Or seeing less because, you know, some of you, your good friends can sort of say, hey, you're not, I don't think you, you're coping well. I don't think you're doing well or you've become a bit narcissistic or you've become a bit abrupt. You know, you're not seeing those patterns. So for me, the tips are you've got to then care more. You've got to really get yourself out there with your family, your friends in the community. You've got to start making sure that you're just not in your bedroom, you know, worrying, you're talking to people. And once you start talking to your friends, you realise the problems that you're facing aren't as big as what you thought they were. But it's also being self-aware and seeing more. And I think if you can care more, talk more, see more, then it's going to help you come, not only that numbness, but make you more resilient to any challenges or obstacles you have moving forward. Yeah, beautiful. They're great tips there, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today, honestly. Um, oh, there's just so, so much juicy content there. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of your work and you've helped me so much in my career as well. So from the bottom of my heart, like, thank you for just being you. I think you're super cool. Thank you very much. And thank you for giving people the opportunity to do this because I think it's, it's really important that people understand that resilience isn't just a, a thing for the tough-minded. It's for all of us and it's something that we can learn. But also you talk to so many cool, interesting people um, that it's only going to benefit society moving forward. So thank you for your courage and also your thank personal you. example that you've given overcoming everything you've come. Because oh, it's, thank you. It's those moments that inspire us. So I appreciate thank that. Much. Thank you so much. And everybody, no matter what you are going through, you can overcome it and discover what you are made of. So thanks again, Mark. Awesome. All right. See you guys next week.